0: Welcome to IRIS for Sunday, March 3rd, 2024, as well as Saturday, March 2nd, 2024, as I will be reading content from both day's papers to bring you a full hour of content for IRIS. My name is Trevor, and I'm pleased to read you the Sioux City Journal for today. So let's take a look at the five-day forecast so we can see what Mother Nature has in store for us. Today it'll be mostly cloudy and breezy with mild temperatures, winds 10 to 20 miles per hour. I guess mild for Iowa, and uh, 65 is a high. Tonight it'll be partly cloudy, winds from the northeast 7 to 14 miles per hour, and a low of 34. Tomorrow, Monday, turning cloudy, mild, winds from the north 10 to 20 miles per hour, high of 56, low of 28. Tuesday, cloudy, breezy in the afternoon, winds west-northwest 8 to 60 miles per hour. High of 55, low of 28. Wednesday, partly sunny and mild. Winds, south-southeast, 8 to sixteen miles per hour. High of 54, low of 38. Thursday, cloudy with afternoon rain. Winds, east-southeast, 8 to sixteen miles per hour. High of 46 and a low of 33. All right, let's now turn to the front page of today's Sunday Sioux City Journal. Where we look to democracy in focus. Headline, Drawn Out. Subheadline: Wonky maps minimize voters, comma sway balance of power in U.S. elections, and it shows essentially a picture of the United States with what's called a redistricting report card, where it gives kind of a grade from A through F, um, which I assume is about how um, different states across the United States um, have uh, redistricting laws. Iowa and Nebraska get a B for better than average of some bias, and South Dakota uh, gets an A for good. So that's kind of how our three states in our Siouxland Tri-State area uh, fare up on this report card. All right, now the story itself. Mika Gadsden is well-versed in the electoral process, having run for mayor, served as a polling precinct clerk, and worked as a political activist over the past decade. But Gadsden said even she was having a hard time determining which congressional district she is slated to vote in later this year in South Carolina's Charleston County. Her confusion stems from a process known as gerrymandering in which political parties in power manipulate the boundaries of voting districts to gain an electoral upper hand. The process can amount to, quote, an assault on democracy, Gadsden said. The effects of gerrymandering are neither new nor uncommon, but with Democrats and Republicans currently splitting control of Congress by the narrowest of margins, experts say a small number of pending redistricting battles and newly released maps could help determine which party holds the levers of power in the U.S. House of Representatives after this year's elections. The states where the stakes are highest include... South Carolina, where the U.S. Supreme Court is expected to decide on whether to allow a new congressional map to stand. New York, where the state legislature rejected this week the latest congressional maps drawn by a bipartisan commission. Wisconsin, where a recent lawsuit could lead to the redrawing of congressional maps. Louisiana, where a new map released in late January creates an additional majority black congressional district. North Carolina, where where redistricting has been the subject of Supreme Court rulings and ongoing lower court fights. South Carolina's electoral maps John in 2021 moved Gadsden and some 30,000 other black voters out of a competitive district and into one that has been in Democratic hands for four decades. The process, she said, has, quote, sown seeds of confusion and really does demoralize a lot of people who find their vote will carry less weight. what we see is that the powers that be have pretty much picked the winners for people, Gadsden said. It's so undemocratic. It's really an assault on democracy in general. The practice of moving electoral district boundaries to promote certain outcomes, such as increasing the odds that a certain party wins or reducing the voting power of particular groups of voters, is not a new part of our election system. Politicians have employed the tactic for centuries, and voting rights activists have been trying to combat it for about as long. The back-and-forth has left courts to determine when such redistricting crosses a legal line. After South Carolina's governor signed the new maps into law, the state NAACP and a local voter sued, alleging that the new state map is an example of illegal gerrymandering that discriminates against those voters based on the color of their skin. With that case now in the hands of the Supreme Court, the implications for Gadsden and other voters in Charleston could be significant. Should the court decide the gerrymander was illegal, these black voters will go back to casting their ballots for a seat that a Democrat has held as recently as 2021 when Republican Representative Nancy Mace won election. And with Republicans holding a razor-thin majority in the U.S. House of Representatives, experts say the ramifications of that court decision and a handful of other pending cases that allege illegal gerrymanders could be felt nationwide. Quote, there are going to be some places where Democrats pick up a seat or two, maybe in New York, three or four, said Paul M. Smith, senior vice president of the nonpartisan campaign legal center and a lawyer who has argued multiple landmark gerrymandering cases before the Supreme Court. Quote, in North Carolina, when the new Supreme Court there had the map redrawn, the Democrats lost two or three or four seats. Quote, so it may end up having a net effect that's fairly modest across the country, Smith said. But given how closely divided the House is, we may very well find that a decision or two here were decisive because whatever party is in control next time may be in control of the House by about two seats. Mike Mitchell D. Brown, Senior Counsel for Voting Rights for the Southern Coalition for Social Justice, puts the problem of gerrymandering plainly. It occurs, he said, when legislators are, quote, choosing their voters and voters are not choosing their legislators, end quote. Quote, Our democracy is supposed to be of the people, by the people, and for the people," Brown said. "But right now, it's of the elected officials, by the elected officials, and for the elected officials. The anti-democratic efforts of gerrymandering," Brown and other experts argue, "are wide-ranging. When individual voters see the power of their vote weaken as they are packed by part, picked, packed by party, race, or other factors into districts designed to reliably elect candidates of a certain party." Brown said it tends to dampen voter interest in elections, where outcomes seem preordained. Voters also can be undermined by a gerrymandering tactic known as cracking, which involves splitting up groups of voters and assigning them to electoral districts that are safe for the party that they don't belong to. However, gerrymandering is implemented, Brown said. The result is that it makes it harder for voters to hold politicians accountable at the ballot box. And when officials are less accountable to their constituents, he said, the effects are felt far beyond the polling precinct. Quote, the practical effect is that there's less representation, Brown said. When gerrymandering is based on race, he added, the needs of the black community are not met because you have elected officials that don't speak to the experience of the black community. The creation of safe seats can also exacerbate partisan polarization and push people to the extremes politically, said Smith, of the campaign legal center, because politicians have to focus primarily on winning primaries, not general elections. Quote, and that, Smith said, pushes people towards the extreme right or the extreme left. While the problems of gerrymandering are easy to see, the practice is difficult to stop, according to Smith, who has spent decades trying to do so. Despite repeated attempts to get the Supreme Court to find it illegal when an electoral map is, quote, designed to guarantee one party wins most of the seats, even if they don't get most of the votes, Smith said the court determined in 2019 that such partisan gerrymandering is a political question that is, quote, too complicated for the federal courts to deal with. And so, he said, you can't go to federal court and challenge partisan gerrymandering. But the U.S. Supreme Court has affirmed the rights of state courts to combat partisan gerrymandering in maps drawn by state legislators. Last year, the court ruled that the North Carolina courts can regulate redistricting to ensure it accords with the state constitution. Quote, North Carolina has really been ground zero for the redistricting and gerrymandering conversations nationwide, said Chris Cooper, a political science professor at Western Carolina University. The Supreme Court ruling leaves the partisan gerrymandering fight at a state level. In North Carolina, that allowed a new conservative state Supreme Court majority to reverse a previous ruling, allowing Republican-leaning redistricting maps to be implemented for the 2024 election, Cooper said. The court also ruled that political gerrymandering was not a question for state courts. The fight over gerrymandering in North Carolina is nothing new, but has increased in the past decade, Cooper said. Since 2010, the state has seen several congressional district voting maps enacted, four of which were used in elections. The change in gerrymandering after 2010 was seen in Texas as well, Rice University political science professor Mark Jones said. The state's 2021 voting maps reflected, uh, quote, unbridled gerrymandering in a way that hadn't been in the case in 2005 and 2011, Jones said. Congressional districts in Texas pack Democrats together, twisting and turning to form wonky shapes that span miles. In Texas, the redistricting has all but ensured a Republican hold in the state, Jones said. While gerrymandering might not always play a significant role in elections, in a year like 2024, when the election is close, a handful of seats could affect control, Jones said. Gerrymandering takes some of the question out of elections, leaving some voters feeling disenfranchised, Jones said. The near-constant changes in North Carolina also make it difficult for for voters to know who represents them at a state and national level, Cooper said. Despite challenges, Cooper says, it's unlikely that anything will change in North Carolina. The latest maps in North Carolina, allowed by the state Supreme Court, are still being challenged, Cooper said. The most recent lawsuit filed in December alleges racial gerrymandering the first case to do so for the current maps, he said. The stakes are too large for people to not at least try to overturn these maps, Cooper said. Quote, both parties are challenging the maps. It's very clear they know the maps mean power. It's a convenient fiction, but a fiction to say that people still get the final say. While state courts have become the main battleground over partisan gerrymandering, the U.S. Supreme Court has found that federal courts can get involved in race-based gerrymandering. That's in part on the, based on the Constitution's Equal Protection Clause, which says states cannot undermine citizens' rights, and in part on the Voting Rights Act, an 1865 law designed to ensure that all citizens have an equal opportunity to participate in elections. But to pursue cases under these provisions, a court has to determine first whether race was the predominant motive in the minds of the people drawing the line, Smith said. That can be tricky, especially when race seems to be used as a proxy for party, as often occurs with black voters. Who tend to overwhelmingly to vote for democrats brown said the difficulty in making distinctions between race and party means black voters don't have the same protections quote, all legislators all that the legislator has to do is say quote hey we didn't do this for racial reasons we did this for partisan reasons brown said courts including the united states supreme court have heard several cases that hinge on such determinations while many of its decisions were widely reviewed as undermining legal protections for black voters, the court surprised observers last year when it upheld a key piece of the Voting Rights Act that requires quote, states to create opportunities for voters of color to elect candidates of their choice when they're faced with massive, racially polarized voting, like in the South, Smith said. The effect of that decision will be felt in this year's congressional election. Because the ruling required resulted in the drawing of a second black majority district in Alabama. That district is expected to elect a Democrat to Congress. It also means there will be continued efforts to create majority black, majority Latino districts in situations where, if you don't, the majority white population will control all the districts, Smith said. So that has a very positive decision for those who believe in racial justice redistricting. Brown said such protections are crucial because, he argues, race is a factor even when legislators profess not to be considering it. Oh, to believe that a legislator can draw a race-blind map is farcical, Brown said. These people know where the black voters are, where the white voters are, where the Latino voters are. To say something is race-blind, you can draw your district by memory and you know how to gerrymander. Race is always going to undergrid what the legislator does, which is going to affect minority voters. The South Carolina case currently pending in the U.S. Supreme Court hinges on whether the justices find politics or race influence the district maps. If justices rule the new electoral maps are drawn to advance a partisan advantage, the changes will be allowed to stand. If the high court determines legislators are motivated by a desire to pack black voters in a single safe district, the court could order the maps to be redrawn. This distinction between race and politics has been further clouded by the findings that Representative Jim Clyburn, the black Democrat who has represented the state's sixth congressional district since 1993, worked with Republicans to move black voters into his district in order to shore up his chances of re-election. ProPublica examined Clyburn's role in depth. A three-judge panel found that the new lines represented a racial gerrymander that also, also described... The congressman's staff's role in helping Republicans alter his district. While a Republican who led the redistricting redistricting effort said he, quote, received a map from the staff of Congressman James Clyburn and that he incorporated the Clyburn staff proposals into the final plan, he also acknowledged to making, quote, dramatic changes to the staff's recommendations, court documents say. Clyburn's office has strongly denied that he participated in the state's gerrymandering, but experts have long described an, quote, unholy alliance between black Democratic lawmakers and Republican lawmakers to draw maps that create safe seats for the former at the expense of a broader advantage for the other party. While there's no doubt legislators from both parties work behind the scenes to draw maps to their advantage, Smith said there isn't an obvious way to draw them objectively and fairly. The challenge lies in part in how people tend to congregate geographically by party, which leads to what Smith calls unintentional gerrymandering. But one of the things that is true of the way our country is set up is that Democrats tend to cluster themselves in cities, he said. And so if you draw maps without thinking of partisanship at all, just draw squares or whatever, you end up with more Republican seats than Democratic seats, even if it's a 50-50 state, because the Democrats pack themselves into smaller numbers, a smaller number of districts with really, really high percentages of Democrats. So although he said Republicans have been in a better position to do more gerrymandering, Smith said he doesn't think they are more prone to it than Democrats. As courts tangle over whether to allow legislators to move electoral lines and decide who elects whom, a growing number of states have taken such decisions out of their hands altogether through the formation of redistricting commissions. Samuel Wang, a Princeton professor, University professor who leads the Princeton Gerrymandering Project, said court victories in citizens' initiatives have led to a sharp decline in the practice over the past decade. Quote, you look at the congressional level, the degree of gerrymandering in the U.S. House of Representatives, compared to 10 years ago, the distortion is less than half of what it was in 2012, he said. So things are getting better. But issues remain. While the moment to create independent commissions is, quote, spreading across the country, Smith believes that there's a, quote, natural limit on how far that can go because in about half of the states, at least, in order to get a constitutional amendment on the ballot, it has to be passed twice by the legislator, and they don't pass it, end quote. Though experts say commissions tend to make better political maps than politicians, some have struggled, including in New York. New York voters changed the state constitution to take redistricting out of the hands of the state legislator and into an independent commission, but the commission deadlocked on its first attempt, which gave the job of redistricting back to legislators. That Democrat-controlled body then drew its own maps, which were signed into law, promptly challenged in court and invalidated. The state Supreme Court then appointed a special master to draw yet another new map which was used for a 2022 election that saw Republicans make important gains in New York's congressional races. But Democrats have been fighting to allow the Independent Redistricting Commission to have another chance at redrawing the maps. In December, the state Supreme Court ruled in their favor. When those new maps were released this month, little was different from the ones used in 2022. Had the state legislator approved those maps, Republicans would have been expected to maintain their gains. But on February 26, Democrats rejected the maps and reportedly planned to draw new lines designed to help the party pick up seats in the U.S. House without drawing further pushback from the state Supreme Court. Ultimately, Smith and others say comprehensive changes to the nation's redistricting rules would have to come from U.S. Congress itself. But that, Smith said, is unlikely anytime soon. Quote, Congress is a place where a lot of the problems with our democracy could get fixed, Smith said. It's just, you've got to get a majority in both houses and a filibuster-proof majority at that who really want to fix them. And that's not easy. We don't have that now. That leaves voters like Gadsden and Charleston waiting for court decisions and new maps that will decide where they vote, influence who wins their local elections, and helps determine who controls a bitterly divided Congress. Gadsden views the situation as an alarming part of a larger assault on people's access to their own democracy. Quote, it seems like the old guard within the establishment really has worked hard to maintain a level of power that doesn't serve the voter at all, she said. It really does not serve the voter. It also does not serve democracy, Wang said. Quote, it's possible through legislative jiggery-pokery to gain an advantage that could never be gotten through any amount of campaigning, Wang said. So at the level of national power, it actually could be quite consequential. All right, let's now return to the front page of today's Sunday paper. Or we look to uh, legislation out of Des Moines. Headline: House passes bill to expand Highway 30 to four lanes. Iowa State Transportation Commission would be required to prioritize making all of U.S. Highway 30 four lanes under a bill passed by the Iowa House on Thursday. Lawmakers passed House File 2569 by a vote of 87 to four. The bill would require the Iowa Transportation Commission to include in its long-range planning plans to make the entire length of Highway 30 four lanes, including a 40-mile stretch between DeWitt and Lisbon, just east of Cedar Rapids, and between Carroll and Ogden in western Iowa. Economic developers, businesses leaders, business leaders, and government officials in Clinton County (laughs) have advocated for the better part of two decades for the state to modify and expand Highway 30 between DeWitt and Lisbon to four lanes. Representatives with the U.S. Highway 30 Coalition have told lawmakers that such a project would spur rural business development foster population growth, improve roadway safety, lessen congestion on Interstate 80, and match the majority of Highway 30's cross-state footprint. Instead of a four-lane layout, the Iowa Department of Transportation's five-year highway plan calls for a changing of the current two-lane layout of Highway 30 from Lisbon to Stanwood to a, quote, Super 2 configuration that would enable the construction of wider lanes, a hard shoulder, and occasional turning and passing lanes. Work is scheduled to begin for the fiscal year that starts July 1st and ends June 30, 2025, with pavement improvements from the east of Lisbon to west of Mechanicsville. Property acquisition for the section of highway west of Mechanicsville to west of Standwood is scheduled to begin in fiscal year 2025 and construction in fiscal year 2026. Meanwhile, work is ongoing to finish four-lane construction in Benton County, which is slated to be uh, completed this year, according to the DOT. Stuart Anderson, uh, the director of transportation development for the Iowa DOT said the DOT decided against a four-lane layout in favor of the Super Two alternative due to cost savings. He said the DOT estimated it would cost 15 to 20 percent over the cost of upgrading to a four-lane highway, and wouldn't require nearly as much property acquisition. The bill was amended to state the Iowa DOT would not use eminent domain to acquire the land necessary to expand two-lane sections of. U.S. 30 to four lanes unless it is, it is expended quote, all reasonable alternatives if the land is a part of century farm or residential real estate property. The study conducted by Iowa engineering firm Snyder & Associates and paid for by the Highway 30 Coalition estimated it would cost more than $636 million to expand a 45-mile stretch of the highway to four lanes between Carroll and Ogden and a 44-mile stretch from Lisbon to DeWitt, over a 10-year period, and the estimated financial benefit to the state would be more than $770 million. Roughly 160 miles of the 331-mile-long highway in Iowa is four lanes. The study did not include the cost to expand the stretch of highway west of Carroll. A fiscal analysis of the bill by the Nonpartisan Legislative Services Agency estimates the full expansion of Highway 30 would cost $1.5 billion throughout the course of the construction federal funding could cover up to 80% of the total cost, but will depend on future budgeting decisions made by the State Transportation Committee. The LSA, Legislative Services Agency, estimates two lanes will need to be added to approximately 120 miles at an estimated cost of $6.7 million per mile. Four-lane bypasses would need to be constructed for approximately 39.5 miles, costing an estimated $10 million per mile, along with 16 interchanges costing approximately $16.1 million each. Annual maintenance cost for the full 120 miles is estimated to be approximately $1.7 million per year. Quote, there's over half a million people living along the highway corridor, and it's actually the only corridor outside Interstate 80 that is growing, said Representative Tom Betterman, representative of Comanche, the bill's lead co-sponsor. Highway 30 has always been recommended as a four-lane corridor. 160 miles of it is four lanes, so we need to finish it. Dieterman Mann said a, a four-lane divided highway is 60% safer than a two-lane highway. Communities in northern Iowa lobbied for years to make U.S. Highway 20 a four-lane expressway from Sioux City to Dubuque. The first four-lane stretch of Highway 20 was completed in 1958 and the last in 2018, 60 years later. Diederman said the state has seen economic growth along Highway 20 and is looking to see the same development along Highway 30. Quote, it's a win for rural Iowa, he told the Gazette, knowing the highway spans 12 counties and 39 cities. Representative Adam Zabner, Democrat of Iowa City, who voted against the measure, said while he would like to see the highway expanded, he's, quote, concerned about the potential politicization of what should be routine infrastructure spending. The bill now heads to the Iowa Senate, where Dieterman said a subcommittee is scheduled to consider the bill next week. Senator Chris Kornreier, Republican of LeClaire, introduced companion legislation in the Senate last year, but it failed to advance out of the chamber. Kornreier's district includes Clinton County. Dieterman said he hopes to push the bill through the Senate before a March 15th legislative deadline. All right, let's turn to page A2 of Sunday's paper for the briefs. Headline, Community College Opens Enrollment for Academy, Sioux Center, Iowa. Northwest Iowa Community College recently announced it is now enrolling high school students in the Sioux Center Academy. The program, which is geared towards students entering their junior year of high school, will officially begin in the fall of 2024 at the Sioux Center office of the Northwest Area Education Agency. The program offers, quote, specialized career pathways in education, engineering, and design, healthcare, information technology, and welding, according to a release from NCC. The Shelton-based college and the Sioux Center Academy is intended to give high schoolers, quote, a head start on their careers by offering both high school and college credits in specific fields. Enrollment for the fall semester of the Sioux Center Academy will run through May 1st, and students from one of seven high schools can participate. Boyden Hull, MOC Floyd Valley, Rock Valley, Sioux Center, Unity Christian, West Sioux, and Western Christian. Quote, students whose high schools are not listed but are interested in joining the NCC Sioux Center Career Academy program are encouraged to reach out directly to Northwest Iowa Community College for more information, NCC said. Next headline, Dakota County to test outdoor warning signs from South Sioux City. Dakota County residents should expect to start hearing sirens every month. The Dakota County Emergency Management Agency recently announced that the county will start testing its outdoor warning sirens at noon on Monday. The schedule will be the first Monday of each month at the same time. Quote, the sirens help alert the community of severe weather and the need to find shelter and seek information, the agency wrote in a Facebook post. Quote, sirens are for outdoor warning purposes and are not meant to be heard indoors. Hearing a siren is a signal to get indoors and seek additional information. Headline, Charges Dropped Against Foreign Athletes from Ames, Iowa Prosecutors in Story County are dropping charges against current and former Iowa State University athletes charged of sports betting because Iowa investigators, quote, exceeded the permitted use of geofencing software, according to, quote, newly discovered evidence. The state's top public safety official on Friday said he was disappointed by that decision, saying lawyers repeatedly assured investigators the geofencing they were employing in the investigation was legal. According to motions to dismiss filed Friday by the Story County Attorney's Office, athletes Isaiah Lee, Jharrel Brock, Peniro Johnson, and Ayumoma Wazukere are all charged in 2023, obtained evidence through an open records request through the Iowa Racing and Gaming Commission. The evidence showed Geo Compli, a, the provider of the product used in the investigations, believed the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation quote exceeded the scope of its permitted use and using the Kibana product in October of 2023, the motion by Assistant Story County Attorney Benjamin Machan said. The DCI's use of the product was revoked on January 24th of this year because of concerns about the division's use, the motion noted. The prosecutors investigated the allegations as soon as they received the defense attorney's information and confirmed them to be accurate according to the motion. Machan, in the motion, said he had attempted to contact GeoComply through counsel, but the company had failed to respond. Prosecutors are asking the motion to be dismissed with prejudice, meaning the charges can't be filed later. Dismissal does not affect sanctions by the NCAA, which governs collegiate sports. All right, friends, we will now turn to the Saturday, March 2nd edition of the paper so we can get a little more content to bring you. All right, let's now turn... Again, to Saturday's paper, where we look to the main headline Officials Wanted, headline Trained Whistle Blowers, subheadline USD Classes Take Aim at High School Sports Official Shortages. From Vermillion, South Dakota After years of watching football with her older brothers and hearing them say football referees don't know what they're doing, Michaela Cagle has come to a bit of a different opinion. Enrolled in a class on football officiating, the University of South Dakota freshman as the one it takes to officiate a football game. Quote, it's interesting to see how much goes into officiating and how much you have to retain to successfully officiate, said Kegel, a kinesiology major who was a student manager for her high school football team in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. Quote, I know there's a lot more going on. Kegel's is one of a few dozen USD students this semester taking new classes aimed at getting a younger generation of sports lovers involved in officiating to help ease shortage of high school sports officials. Two elective, two-credit courses... Teaching the rules and basics of football and volleyball officiating have drawn 21 and 13 students, respectively. A course on basketball officiating will be offered in the fall semester. Quote, the interest was definitely there. Hopefully, if we can capture them at a younger age, we can get them interested and retain them, said Connor Schlingsen, USD's assistant director of intramurals and sports clubs and the director of eSports, who's teaching the football officiating class. Once a week, Schlingsen who has 17 years of experience officiating football and basketball and empiring baseball, goes over rules and other finer points of football officiating with his students. The rest of the week, they complete courses on Ref Officiating Educating System, an online training program. When he learned the classes being offered, Jack, Zach Schreiner, a junior elementary education major from Del Rapids, South Dakota, signed up right away. Quote, I've always wanted to learn more about football, said Schreier, who played the sport in high school and intends to coach in the future. Quote, I've been coaching football the last three years. I decided to get a better understanding of the rules of the game and maybe in the future become an official as well. It's been very educational. I've learned a lot. The South Dakota High School Activities Association approached numerous state colleges last year by offering officiating classes. With the average age of officials at 56 years old, the number of officials is declining, leading to shortages in some sports in South Dakota and across the nation. The South Dakota High School Athletic Association had been implementing the online training programs to draw high school students into officiating and thought college students might be interested too. USD was the only college to team up with them. We're just trying to find new ways to get new officials, said Joe Ausch. SDHSAA Assistant Executive Director, quote, This has been the best response we've had in getting kids involved and getting people involved. We feel that if we can get it started in years to come, these kids will stick with it. Aushen Singesen hit the recruiting trail in USD's kinesiology classes populated with many current athletes and former high school athletes who are going into sports-related fields such as athletic training. They promoted officiating as a way to remain involved in sports and earn some extra cash. As an additional draw, the SDHSAA will waive the first year's registration fee for any student coming out of USD's classes who registers as an official, offer a voucher for buying uniforms and equipment, and set them up with an experienced official to serve as a mentor. Quote, we really didn't know what to expect, said Jesse Daw, chair of USD's division of kinesiology and sports management. Quote, we were hoping to have enough students to make the classes go, which is about 10 to 12. Dao was pleased to see the numbers were a little higher than that. As long as students and instructors show interest in the classes, USD will offer them, she said. It's too early to tell if the classes will be expanded to sports beyond football, volleyball, and basketball. In his football clash, Shingson said he has a mix of students who want to learn more about the rules because they plan to go into coaching, some who just want to learn more about the game, and others who are interested in becoming a football official. A lifetime football fan, Keiko falls into the latter category. Quote, I do a little bit, she said, when asking if she wanted to officiate someday. If nothing else, the class has given a better her a better understanding of the rules and made it more fun to watch football. Quote, it definitely opened my eyes and helped me enjoy a game the game a lot more, she said. Now she just has to break it to her brothers that officials might know a little more about football than they thought. All right, let's return back to Saturday's front page where we look to the um, Mr. Schultz, the missing trucker that has been reported um In previous articles here in the Sioux City Journal out of Sac County. Headline Reward for Missing Trucker Rises to Over $28,000 from Sac City, Iowa. The reward fund for a missing Wall Lake, Iowa trucker now exceeds $28,000. Sac County Crime Stoppers, which manages funds used for law enforcement investigations in the Northwest Iowa County, announced in a Facebook post Friday that the reward fund for 53 year old David Schultz has increased to $20,400 due to donations through the Iowa State Bank account and Venmo. The Facebook post also included a missing persons flyer for Schultz in Spanish. In January, the Sac County Board of Supervisors unanimously voted to use $25,000 of American Rescue Plan Act funds for the reward. Schultz, a married father of 10-year-old twin boys, vanished before Thanksgiving. He was last heard from in the early morning hours of November 21st, according to the Lakeview Police Department. Schultz's red Peterbilt-built semi with white stripes was found on the afternoon of November 21st parked in the middle of the northbound lane of County Road N-14, not far from where it intersects of D-15 in northeastern Sack County. The trailer he rents was loaded with pigs, but Schultz was nowhere to be found on that stretch of paved roadway, which is flanked by cornfields. Anyone with information concerning Schultz's disappearance is asked to call the Sack County Communications Center at 712- or email tips at gov. All right, let's turn to page A3 for some more local and state stories. Headline, new Chick-fil-A could be coming to Sioux City. A new Chick-fil-A store could be coming to Sioux City. Engineering, landscaping, and site plans with the Sioux City Planning and Zoning and Board Commission and Board of Adjustment show the popular purveyor of chicken sandwiches looking at planning a store at 820 Hamilton Boulevard, where a vacant Cricket wireless store currently sits. Location would be just across the way from a Popeyes, Louisiana kitchen. The documents do not show when exactly a store would open, but do note the building footprint would be around 5,177 square feet, and the number of employees during the largest shift would be around 15. A request to Chick-fil-A's media relations for a possible timeline has not yet been answered. A pre-agenda for the Sioux City Planning and Zoning Commission slash Board of Adjustments March 12th meeting lists a hearing for the requested site plan approval as Agenda Item 2024-016. The meeting is 4 p.m. in City Hall. In the past several weeks, plans for a number of chain chain openings in Sioux City have been advanced or confirmed. On Monday, the Sioux City Council approved a resolution announcing the city's intent to accept a proposal from McDonald's USA Incorporated to purchase land at 3100 Floyd Boulevard in Floyd Valley Crossing. An assistant public relations manager for Freddy's Frozen Custard and Steak Burgers told the Journal in late February the company's targeting an opening date at 5842 Sunnybrook Drive in July. Quickstar is also planning to open a convenience store in Sioux City later this year. The gas station will be at 2500 Glen Avenue, just off South Lewis Boulevard, near the Floyd Monument, said Ben Liebel, a spokesman for Quick Trip, the parent company of Quickstar. Sioux City's first freestanding Chick-fil-A opened at 4428 Sargent Road in November of 2012. A previous location opened inside the Southern Hills Mall in May of 1981. All right, let's do our next story from the local and state section. Headline, Felon Arrested, Police Say He Fired Gun in Home. From Hinton, Iowa. A man was arrested on multiple charges Tuesday after he allegedly fired a rifle during a disturbance at his rural Hinton home. The Plymouth County Sheriff's Office said in a statement that Thomas B. Wendt, age 40, was booked into the Plymouth County Jail on charges of felon in possession of a firearm, a Class D felony, and misdemeanor charges of domestic abuse, assault, first offense, and simple assault, and reckless use of a firearm. In 2013, Wendt pleaded guilty in Woodbury County District Court to operating a vehicle while intoxicated, third offense, a Class D felony. This conviction would prohibit him from possessing firearms or ammunition in the state of Iowa. A criminal complaint filed Wednesday, in Plymouth County District Court said. According to the complaint, at 9.12 p.m. Tuesday, Plymouth County dispatchers received a report of a disturbance during which a gun had been fired at a residence in the 29,000 block of Juniper Avenue. The Plymouth County Sheriff's Office, Hinton Police Department, Lamar's Police Department, and Iowa State Patrol all responded to the scene. An investigation revealed that Wendit became upset with the family members, took a 22 caliber rifle into a bedroom, and fired it, causing damage to the ceiling, according to the complaint. Wendit's teenage son took possession of the firearm and unloaded it. As Wendit, who was intoxicated, tried to leave the residence, the teen tried to stop him, according to the complaint. That's when the complaint said Wendit punched the teen in the face approximately eight times. its wife tried to stop the altercation, and was pushed to the ground by the defendant, according to the complainant ultimately when it was placed under arrest and taken to the Plymouth County Jail. Next headline, Sioux City School Board Signs a Resolution Supporting Iowa AEAs The Sioux City Community School District signed a resolution in support of area education agencies on Thursday. The resolution, approved during a special meeting Thursday, encouraged the Iowa legislator to, quote, engage in open conversations and collaboration involving stakeholders familiar with AEA's work about the ways in which AEAs can adapt and improve their structure, services, and costs. It also states the school district has, quote, extensively utilized the AEA and may continue to do so under the proposed bill. In the the end, it shows that this board supports the services that the AEA provides, Board President Jan George said. As the House and Senate files make their way through the legislative process, I would encourage all stakeholders to reach out to your elected representatives and to express your opinion. The move came the same day a proposal by Iowa House Republicans To reorganize the funding and oversight of Iowa's area education agencies was passed out of the chamber. House Republicans proposed the bill after they blocked a more expansive and dramatic proposal from Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, a Republican, that would have allowed school districts to spend their special education dollars outside the AEAs. The House bill, House File 2612, would keep Iowa's AEAs as the sole provider of special education support in the state. State funding for special education services would go to the school districts, and they would be required to use that funding with the AEAs. Reynolds has also asked the Iowa legislator to increase starting teacher pay to $50,000 and has set a minimum salary of $62,000 for teachers with at least 12 years of experience. The current minimum starting teacher pay in Iowa is $33,500. The resolution by the Sioux City Community School District urged the Iowa legislator to address the proposed teacher pay increase in a separate discussion instead of being attached to the AEA bill. Quote, address teacher pay and legislation separate from discussion of the AA's. Focus specifically on financially sustainable solutions for ensuring high-quality Iowa teachers are fairly compensated for their commitment to educational excellence in our state, according to the resolution. All right, let's turn to the briefs. Headline, The Arena and United Sports Academy Facilities Announce a Merger. The Arena Sports Academy and United Sports Academy announced Friday that they were merging and will operate under the name Siouxland Sports Academy and will call the arena at 4501 Southern Hills Drive and United at the CNOS Fieldhouse at 300 Centennial Drive, North Sioux City, Sports Complex's home. The alignment will allow the new 501c3 nonprofit to unify and grow Siouxland youth sports programs. According to a news release, the arena and United Merger represents a significant step forward in the enhancement and accessibility of sports training and facilities in the area. By combining resources, expertise, and a shared vision for community impact, the group will continue to offer progressive opportunities for youth in the community while also driving significant economic impact to the area by growing youth sporting events, the news release added. Current Arena and United Executive Director Dustin Cooper will continue to serve in the same role for the Siouxland Sports Academy. Quote, this new nonprofit Siouxland Sports Academy will operate out of the arena and the United Sports Complexes in a manner that is transparent with a mission that is simple. Create great opportunities for all Siouxland youth while driving significant economic impact to our community, Cooper said. Headline East Coach Named Wrestling Official of the Year Thursday, Sioux City East announced its head football coach, Mike Winklepack, was recently named an Iowa Wrestling Official of the Year. Winkle Pleck, a Morningside University and Bishop Helan High School grad, was recognized before the Iowa High School Athletic Association Wrestling Tournament in Des Moines earlier this month. The commendation was for sport, skill, knowledge, and support of other officials, the IHSAA said in a release. Winkle Plek was one of three Siouxland residents to receive the recognition. Jim Salker, Sergeant Bluff, and Jim Pfeiffer of Milford were also named. Quote, all have worked years at uh, championship matches and assist the sport off the mat with other events and local organizations, the IHSAA said. All right, let's return back to the front page of Saturday's paper. There's one article that I did miss, and it's actually pretty happy news. So headline, Sulan takes prize for fourth year in a row. The and Tri State Region retained the nation's top spot for per capita economic development performance for populations under 200,000 for the fourth year in a row, according to a survey in Site Selection magazine. The Sioux City Metropolitan Statistical Area, or MSA, earned the top national per capita ranking for its population category for January through December 2023. Siouxland also finished first in 2020, 2021, and 2022. The per capita ranking made its debut in site selection in 2020, and Siouxland has earned the title in each of the four years this data has been tracked and published by the Economic Development Trade publication based in suburban Atlanta, according to a press release from the Siouxland Initiative. The magazine stated, quote, In this year's per capita contest, perennial leaders in the tri-state Siouxland region encompassing Sioux City, Sgt. Bluff, and Lamars, Iowa, South Sioux City and Dakota City, Nebraska, and North Sioux City and Dakota Dunes, South Dakota, find themselves king of the hill once more, outdueling Bowling Green for the per capita crown. The news was welcomed by local business leaders and economic development leaders. Lance Morgan, who is president and CEO of Ho-Chunk, Inc., and serves as the chair of the board of directors of the Siouxland Initiative, or TSI, said, quote, the Siouxland region is proud to continue to perform so well in these annual national rankings. We do not take this recognition for granted and will take this opportunity to actively promote the continued diversification of the businesses that contribute to our region's vitality and success. TSI President Chris McGowan added, quote, We are grateful to cite Selection Magazine for their decades of work in this field and appreciate appreciative of the executives and the corporate decision makers who consistently choose to expand and locate in Siouxland. McGowan also credited and congratulations the regional economic development professionals who work tirelessly to grow the regional economy of Burns, who served as edu- editor-in-chief and head of publications for site selection, addressed the tri-state's collective performance expanding. <clears throat> Quote, in the last calendar year, the projects in Siouxland remarkably, were distributed almost equitably across the three states. Noting the area's strengthening strengths in food processing, the Burns fondly recalled visiting local eateries, including Alfredo's Pizza, Milwaukee Wiener House, and Stonebrew Coffee Company. Quote, the advantages in, in clustering found at any juncture of city or county boundaries are only accentuated when they th- there are three states and the Missouri River involved, he added. Prospects have choices and they are choosing the region. Additionally, in the ranking among states, the state of South Dakota is recognized as, top, as the top performing state in the nation based on per capita economic development projects for the 2023 calendar year. All right, let's now turn to the week in Iowa, page A4. In the news, educators want teacher pay boost. Iowa education advocates are largely in support of a House proposal <clears throat> to increase the pay of Iowa's first-year teachers and educational support staff, something educators and lawmakers alike say is overdue. The bill, part of House Republicans' package of education legislation this year, would increase the starting teacher salary to $50,000 over two years, set a $15 minimum wage for educational support staff, and devote $22 million to increase salaries for veteran teachers. The plan differs from a similar proposal by Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds as part of her plan to reorganize the state's area education agencies, particularly by adding a pay increase for support staff. Educators also said they preferred the House approach of passing the teacher pay boost separate from the AEA uh, organization bill. Headline: Meat Labeling Protections Pass Iowa Senate Republicans passed a bill this week to prohibit manufacturers of plant-based and lab-grown meat alternatives from being labeled as, quote, meat without a qualifier. Republicans said the move would protect agricultural producers and consumers. Headline State Changes Special Ed Program A program through which special education experts help families navigate services for students with disabilities, Will no longer be operated by Iowa's nine area education agencies after the Iowa Department of Education recently announced it would not renew contracts with the agencies. A spokesperson with Governor Kim Reynolds said the state is exploring contracting with another party for the services. Headline, more stuff about education. Headline, House Passes AEA Proposal. Changes to Iowa's area education agencies passed their first major milestone this week after House Republicans passed their preferred bill to overhaul the funding and oversight of the state's special education network. The House bill would keep AEAs as the sole provider of special education support in the state, but the funding would go to schools first. House Republicans said the bill protects special education services for the thousands of Iowa kids who need them, while also giving schools flexibility in how their money is spent. Democrats opposed the bill, saying they wanted to conduct the study before making any large changes to the system. Headline. State unveils job search bus. Iowa Workforce Development unveiled a new, quote, mobile workforce center this week to take the state's job search office on the road. The 32-foot custom-built bus will bring IWD staff around the state to career fairs and communities in need to help people find high-demand jobs in the state. Headline, conservative curriculum passes House. History curriculum written by a conservative think tank that emphasizes a positive view of U.S. history could be coming to Iowa schools after House Republicans passed a bill to require the instruction this week. The bill includes requirements to instruct on the, quote, United States' is exceptional and praiseworthy history. And around the water cooler. Headline, Grassley defends docs. Iowa, U.S., Senator Chuck Grassley defended his decision to release an FBI document that alleged a bribery scheme involving U.S. President Joe Biden and his son, Hunter, after the informant behind it was arrested for lying to the FBI about the allegations. Grassley said it was his pressure on the Bureau to investigate the claims that ultimately led to the indictment and revelation that they were false. Headline, Foreign Land Ownership. Governor Kim Reynolds' legislative agenda this year is ready for a signature after House lawmakers passed it a bill to create more requirements for foreign landowners. Lawmakers said it would protect Iowa's farmers and landowners and allow the state to more closely monitor foreign land ownership. The bill would create more reporting requirements for foreign landowners and allow the Attorney General to investigate potential violations. Odds and Ends Clark to WNBA Iowa Hawkeyes breakout star Caitlin Clark will be entering the WNBA draft at the end of this year's season, she announced this week. Clark, the leading scorer in the NCAA women's basketball history, has the option to stay another year because of COVID-19 eligibility. Headline, Arming Teachers. Iowa House Republicans passed a bill that would create a new permitting process to allow school teachers and staff to carry firearms. The bill came in the wake of a fatal shooting at Perry High School this year. The bill would also require large school districts to have at least one school resource officer in each high school. Alright, let's turn to page A5 of Saturday's paper. Headline Religious Freedom Bill headed, headed to Governor's Desk from Des Moines. A bill Republicans say will strengthen protections for religious expressions in Iowa. The Democrats contained would give legal cover to discriminate against LGBTQ Iowans and others is headed to Republican Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds' desk. Iowa House Republicans on Thursday voted 61 to 33 to approve Senate file twenty ninety-five referred to by supporters as the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. The bill now heads to the governor for her expected signature. Quote, 23 states around the country with both Republican and Democrat governors have passed similar laws. Now it's Iowa's turn, Reynolds said in a statement. Under the bill, state and local governments shall not, quote, substantially burden someone's exercise of religion unless it is furtherance of a compelling government interest and must be narrowly tailored in the least restrictive means of pursuing that interest. A person, corporation, church, foundation, or other entity whose exercise of religion has been burdened would have the power to go to court to seek damages, injunctive relief, or other means of redressing the harm against them. The bill defines exercise of religion as action, quote, substantially motivated by one sincerely held religious belief, whether or not the exercise is compulsory or central to a larger system of religious belief. Supporters say the bill is needed because, in their view, the U.S. Supreme Court rulings have eroded religious freedom protections that were passed into federal law in 1993 by a Democratic-majority Congress and signed by Democratic President Bill Clinton. People of faith and our places of worship are facing more and more government intrusion into their rights to worship consistent with their beliefs, said Representative Steve Holt, Republican of Denison, lead sponsor or companion of a bill in the House the religious freedom restoration the the religious freedom restoration act protects the religious liberty of every american every iowan regardless of their religion or lifestyle holt said quote it is not a sword or a shield it is a good policy for everyone that quote guarantees that everyone gets a fair day in court when the government intrudes on one of our most sacred freedoms federal law applies only to the federal government but at least two dozen states have passed state-level versions of the legislation The Iowa House debated the proposed legislation for two hours before approving on party lines with Republicans in support and Democrats opposed. Democrats warned that such a law would lead to sanctioned discrimination using religious freedom as a defense. Representative Lindsey James, Democrat of Dubuque, a Presbyterian pastor, introduced an amendment that would have inserted into the bill protections against discrimination as prescribed in the Iowa Civil Rights Act. The amendment aims to Restored the original purpose of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act while preserving, preventing its misuse to erode civil rights and sidestep non-discrimination laws. James said, "The proposed amendment was defeated along party lines. Well, we have seen some good applications of the RFRA throughout the years." James said, "Unfortunately, many of these state-level RFRA have expanded and misapplied the original intent to RFRA to allow the religious belief of one to violate the civil liberties of another. Without this amendment." will be voting on a bill that legalizes discrimination and that weaponizes religious belief to justify discrimination. House Democrats cited instances of LGBTQ plus discrimination and examples of employment discrimination and denial of reproductive health care in states that have passed similar laws. Quote, although... The Religious Freedom Restoration Act was originally intended to protect religious liberty. It has been misused to cause harm, to discriminate, and to deny people health care, said Representative Eleanor Levin, Democrat of Iowa City. It's been exploited to allow employers to ignore laws that protect workers and denying people access to, for example, HIV prevention medication. These bad faith interpretations, uh, which push the law far beyond its original intended purpose, most often cause harm to queer people. Others said the bill would undermine inclusivity and harm Iowa's economy, making it harder for Iowa businesses to recruit workers from out-of-state and retain current residents. Several business groups and chambers of commerce were registered opposed to the bill, including Krauss Group, the Technology Association of Iowa, Principal Financial Group, and the Iowa Chamber Alliance. Holt, the bill's floor manager, called the arguments against the bill, quote, hyperbolic and misinformed. Holt said the bill protects religious freedom in a narrow way and requires a balancing test by courts, when evaluating restrictions on religious freedom. All right, folks. Well, that really brings us to the end of the iris broadcast for the Sioux City Journal for Sunday, March 3rd, 2024, and Saturday, March 2nd, 2023. Let's do a quick recap of the five-day forecast. And this time I'm going to make sure I remember I read from the newest, the Sunday edition of the broadcast of the Uh, forecast because I think two weeks ago I accidentally started reading again from the Saturday which was one day behind which y'all don't need that because with what it comes to weather in this state you know it's always changing every 24 hours it's very different as we all know living here in the midwest so here is the five-day forecast looking from the position of Sunday March 3rd again today mostly cloudy breezy and mild High of 65, tonight partly cloudy, winds 7 to 14 miles per hour, low of 34, so just a little bit of freezing. Then Monday, turning cloudy, mild, winds 10 to 20 miles per hour, 56 is a high, low of 28. Tuesday, cloudy, breezy in the afternoon, high of 55, low of 28. Wednesday, partly sunny and mild, high of 54, low of 38. And Thursday, cloudy with afternoon rain, high of 46 and a low of 33. So basically, you know, don't put away your coats just yet. It's not going to be... Absolutely blistering cold as we had back in January, but, you know, you'll still get a little uncomfortable unless you're bundled up. So, as always, be adaptable and be ready to deal with the swings in the temperature. All right, friends, that brings us to the end of the broadcast for the weekend of March 2nd, 3rd, 2024 for Iris. My name is Trevor. I've been pleased to bring you the Sioux City Journal. Be kind to yourselves, and if you can, someone else. Bye-bye.